that's me, right? It's okay, Malskin. Come on up. Come on. Please gather around. My name is Dave. And I think maybe you've seen me before. It's been a little while. You can, do you want to sit on the floor? Or do you want to sit up here? What would you like? Do you want to sit right here? Okay. Welcome this morning, young disciples. Do you know what a disciple is? It's somebody who follows somebody. And we call ourselves disciples of Jesus because he is worth following. And Jesus told lots of different stories And I want to tell you a story in a different translation that I'm kind of making up on my own that I think if Jesus were here, he would change the story so that we can all understand it, okay? And he told a story about a dad that had three daughters, okay? And it was a Saturday morning. And on this Saturday morning, one daughter woke up, two daughters woke up, three daughters woke up. Well, two of them were busy, but one of them wasn't. And the daddy said to that daughter, daughter, I will give you a large chocolate coin if you would help me with the Saturday morning chores. Now, if daddy said that to you, what would you say? We're talking about a big old chocolate coin, okay? Well, the first daughter started helping daddy with the garbage and they took the garbage out together. Well, the second daughter came back from playing in the alley on her scooter with their friends. And they were just about to start the second chore, which was unloading the dishwasher. So both daughters helped daddy unload the dishwasher. How does that sound? Well, at about the time they were done with the dishwasher, the third daughter came home from soccer practice. And they were about to do the last chore. What do you think the last chore was? Um, Sweeping. You're right. It was sweeping. So they swept the kitchen area and the living room. And they put the dust in the garbage can. And when they were done, guess what daddy took out of the closet, out of the pantry? A chocolate coin. coin, But not just one chocolate coin but three large chocolate coins. And he gave it first to the third daughter who just came in from soccer practice. I actually know what chocolate You know what chocolate coins are, Fox? They're delicious, aren't they? So you can resonate with this story. Yeah, so can I, can I finish the story real quick, Fox? And then we can, we can ruminate on chocolate coins in just a minute. The second daughter... The daddy comes to the second daughter who came in to help with the dishwasher after scootering in the alley. And guess what she got? One large chocolate coin. Well, the third daughter was excited about getting chocolate coins too. But she thought, well, maybe I'll get more chocolate coins, right? Why would she think that she should get more chocolate coins? Because she did the most work. But guess what daddy gave her? exactly what he said he would give her one large chocolate coin now she was really excited about the chocolate coin before the chore started but now she was feeling a little bit bummed why do you think she was feeling bummed she didn't get a bunch she did more work and she got the same as all of her sisters didn't she and you know what the daddy says he says I gave you exactly what I said I would give you when we started the chores But are you feeling a little envious and upset that I'm generous with your sisters? 
That's the story that Jesus told his disciples. You know what's great about that story? It makes us feel, yeah, it makes you feel a little sad. You're like, I want three chocolate coins, right? And you know what? Jesus' disciples felt the same way. They thought, if we do three chores, we should get three chocolate coins. But he gave them one big chocolate coin. Which when we started the story, nobody here would complain about a chocolate coin, would we? You don't want to get sick. Well, that's very, that's very reasonable. And um, moderation is the way forward. But I would just submit to you that you could always space out the way you eat the chocolate coins too. Here's what's wonderful about our Heavenly Father. Here's what's really awesome about our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is generous with all of us. Whether we're the first ones to work or the last ones to work, he wants to be really generous with us. And you know what? Sometimes we're the last ones to work and we get the same chocolate coin because he loves us. So that's what we have together. Jesus, thank you for our little, our, our, our awesome um, young disciples. We pray they'd have a wonderful time in Sunday school and help us to have an open heart to receive your generosity rather than being upset we don't get more chocolate coins. Amen. Okay, young disciples, let's head out the middle here. Molly, do you want to go with them, sweetie? But I'm, I get to preach a sermon, so do you want to go with them or sit with Parker? Here. Fox, would you like to go together with Molly to Sunday school? No, you aren't young. You're, you're actually one of the oldest disciples in the room. Okay, go ahead, Moles. Would you like to go, Molly? Fantastic. Okay, friends. Thanks, everybody. Now I'm going to read the uh, New International Version of the same text, okay? Maybe you'll recognize it. By the way, I'm Dave. Uh, I get to uh, help lead our church's ministry to uh, university students here. And uh, it's a joy um, to get to be back and with you. Um, I, I want to say um, I have one month off of uh, a three-month sabbatical that our church has gifted myself and my family um, after almost nine years of service, that we, it happened. And I need to tell you that the, our personnel team like made it happen. There's a million reasons to punt uh, on sabbaticals when you're busy and you have young children. And I'm really glad that we were able to take it. And it had been um, since Aaron and I were dating in 2008 that I was able to spend um, every Tuesday night with her and Sunday morning um, uh, sequentially for more than just like a week or two of a break. We had three months um, together that way, and it was really wonderful. And so I'm grateful to this community for that care and generosity. Um, uh, I also uh, want to point out that today we're going to get to celebrate, um, actually, in a way, one of my childhood heroes, um, Jenny Walker. You know her as Jenny Fleetmeyer, but she is the person that, that I have known the longest in the entire state of Colorado. Um, Jenny's older brother, Brian, was best friends with my brother, Matt, we all went to the same church growing up, and uh, Ginny uh, was a legendary enthusiast and lover of people, if you can imagine that, um, her entire life. And I want you to imagine Ginny in high school. Like, Ginny was underst like, understood who she was as a high schooler and um, in a really wonderful way. And uh, I have this, one of my formative memories as a child was at the Walker's house, the TV is on. We don't have TV at my house. The TV is on. It's 1990, and MC Hammer's Can't Touch This Music video is on. The hammer pants, like the full like choreographed dance, 
and the enthusiasm of Jenny Walker, like the whole scene, I don't know the meaning of it, but the energy was undeniable. I have been, um, it's just been a wonderful gift for me to get to um, be a co-labor with her, like all of us here. Um, 19 years is like two careers, maybe three in ministry for normal people, and um, that much service here. I have benefited directly from Jenny's um, leadership and care of university students because I inherited her legacy of love for our students in this church. And so I'm just very grateful um, for her and, and I'm excited about what, um, well, about what the Lord has um, in store for her and, and the Fleetmeyer family. Much love. So this is our um, passage this morning, New International Version. Matthew 21 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them one denarius, which is also known as one day's labor, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at noon and at three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyards said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Of course, we'll get more chocolate coins. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So Jesus, as we um, hear your words, we ask that you would open our hearts to what you would want to um, speak to us, to speak to our, uh, our church, our community. Lord, um, out of great concern and care, I believe you shared this parable with your disciples and that it carries the same important weight for us this morning. So Spirit, do your work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series we're calling Upside Down Kingdom. This idea that the way of Jesus, the kingdom, the reign of God, like 
when, when all things are moving in the, the same direction as God, as Jesus, the way we understand God through Jesus, that we call that his kingdom. And that we, when we see as through the, the, the person of Jesus that this kingdom is very different than the kingdom of the world, the, the way of the world. And so we, we call it, we have um, come to call it an upside down, the upside down kingdom, an inverted kingdom. And last week, um, Carl, in his uh, kind of intro to this idea, uh, from my money, shared one of the most beautiful, uh, uh, beautiful proses on the contrast between the kingdom. And so if you haven't heard um, Carl's sermon last week, I would recommend um, that was such a beautiful, contrasting picture of the dichotomy between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world that we live in and how inverted and different they are. And along with that, the walkers, you guys are here. Oh my gosh. Good to see you guys. Um, and what a beautiful contrast that is. But something that I think is really important for us to understand is that the kingdom of God is not itself upside down. In fact, it is right side up. The work of Jesus is a restoration work. It is not a work to somehow do this very uncomfortable thing for a while so that later we can get on with the comfort. But rather Jesus has come to restore what is true about himself, about his father, about his spirit, about the way creation was, was created for the purpose of restoration. Maybe another way of thinking about this is that, that God did not come into the world through Jesus in an espionage mission where he's taking on a different identity in order to fool us, in order to, to accomplish the mission, the desired mission. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's like, if you're going to be a great spy, it's helpful to take on a different disguise, right? And to undo the, do the things that you need to do to accomplish the mission. And I think sometimes I want Jesus to be a spy. Like, do what you got to do, like, so that we can get to the cross and the resurrection and then we can like, and then you can be the, the Jesus that I really want you to be. The way God ought to be in my mind. I would contend that no sane human would wish the life of Jesus, his own experience as a human, for their children. But yet this is the life that God has chosen for himself through his son Jesus. No one would choose to have to flee in the night to escape political violence and become a refugee in a foreign land for themselves, especially their children, right? I don't think any of us would hope to have our children accomplish a lower than, you know, high school diploma and a college education. Jesus comes from a backwoods community. And when he came to town, when he came to the big city, Jerusalem, New York, the people looked at him and said, are you serious? This is the rabbi that we're supposed to get hyped about? This guy builds furniture in that backwoods town and speaks a funny, he has a funny accent and has fishermen friends. And he's the one that we're supposed to get hyped about? But Jesus isn't pretending to be somebody other than he is. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God himself in the world. In John's revelation, we call revelation, the, the, the last book in the New Testament, you know, it, with all of the imagery, you know, with this incredible triumphant, you know, like God is finally on the throne. 
And what's the image? It's not like, you know, this like good looking guy who like, you know, you want to go be seen with on a Friday night at a fancy restaurant. It's the image of a slain lamb. And so the kingdom, my friends, is about restoration. And what feels uncomfortable about the inversion is not something that is just for now and then later we'll get on to something better. In fact, our discomfort indicates that we're uncomfortable with the way God is and the way his kingdom is. And so in these parables and in these stories that we hear where Jesus makes us uncomfortable um, by who he is and the things he says, the invitation is, I would like to restore your heart to the way of life. And it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to become more like me. And that's a really good thing. And our parable this morning uh, fits uh, well into that framework. A little build up to the parable because I think it's really helpful. Jesus is teaching his disciples specifically in this parable, okay? I think that the, 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 the dialogue that Matthew so beautifully wraps together um, really begins Matthew 19, verse 13, where Jesus uh, starts uh, in this interaction with young children that come to him and they want to hang out with Jesus. And it's, it's really a beautiful picture. I don't think his, their parents are trying to like lay it on the kids. It's like, yo, get next to this guy who's really cool. It's like there's something about Jesus that young children want to be around. They feel safe. They feel welcomed. And for an important rabbi like Jesus in that part of the country, this is a really significant thing that they are welcomed to the feet of Jesus, to be blessed by him. And the disciples are, uh, as we find in other passages, we know that they're perplexed because important people, adults, don't have time for children. They have more important matters, but Jesus has time for children. And then after this, uh, this time with the children, the disciples are with Jesus and then in walks the guy who checks all the boxes. We call him the rich young ruler. But this guy, I like to think, the guy that checks all the boxes. He's good looking. He's got money. He has a successful career. Maybe he has a trust fund and a successful career, which sounds pretty nice. On top of that, he knows the Torah very well and he obeys it. And so he comes to this, um, uh, this rabbi. He says, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus he does the whole dialogue. And we find that what Jesus is calling this man who checks all the boxes to is to actually lay down his life, his, his, his connection to his money and take it up and follow him. And he says, I can't, you know, he walks away in sadness. And the disciples, um, their response is not like this. Yeah, what a doofus. Like we're with, Je- we're on team Jesus and that guy, because he's good looking and whatever in society thinks that he can just come to Rabbi Jesus and inherit eternal life, like ask the questions. No, they are dismayed. Because in the disciples' framework, this guy is the first in line to the kingdom. He checks all the boxes. The disciples want to be this guy up until this moment. And he walks away in sadness. And then Peter says, very wisely, he says, Jesus, like, this guy isn't willing to part with his money and follow you, be a part of our team. 
but we've given up everything. And here we are, we're following you. It's like, okay, you gave up your fishing business. I guess that's significant. This guy had more to give, but whatever. But, but here we are. Jesus, what about us? And Jesus says, you know, you will be blessed. And he talks about the blessing of giving up your life to find your life in him. And he says this, at the end of that blessing, he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Right? In the kingdom of this world, the guy who checks all the boxes is the first in line. You would be the last in line, Peter. But in the real restored kingdom, you're the first. And blessed are you. What an incredible promise, right? I mean, from despair to joy, and then boom. Jesus hits us and hits the disciples with this parable. The kingdom of God is like a vineyard owner. And it's harvest season. There's grapes to pick. The bricks are right on point for great fermentation. It's going to be a good vintage. And we need laborers, says the vineyard owner. And so he goes out and he, he finds people to come work in his vineyard early in the morning. And then at 9 a.m., he's in the market. Boy, hey, you're standing here. What, would you like to help? We've got a need. You have a need. Let's do this. I'll pay you whatever is fair, he says. After promising the early shift, a fair wage. We know it's fair. It's a day's wage. And then at noon, the same thing. And then three in the afternoon. And five in the afternoon. Who hires at five in the afternoon? Who hires? Like if a good vineyard owner would be making sure that everybody's doing their job. Maybe he just trusts his uh, empowered folks. But whatever. He's five. He hires them. And then six o'clock. Dinner bell. The sun's going down. We got to go home. It's time to pay the workers. And so the foreman comes and pays the workers. And the first to be paid are the five o'clock shift. And can you believe it? They get a full day's wage. What? Three o'clock shift, full day's wage. The noon shift, full day's wage. 9 a.m., full day's wage. Maybe they deserved it. But the first shift, the real shift, right? Full day's wage. And they're upset. Hey, are you kidding me? We've been out here breaking our back. You know, we've been very selective about the berries we've been picking. Your wine is going to be fantastic. We have sunburns. The five o'clock shift, they didn't even see the sun. You know, direct solar radiation wasn't an experience they had here on the vineyard. But we're blasted. What's up? And the vineyard owner says, Am I not being unfair to you, friend? Did I not agree to work? Did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take your payment and go. I want to give the one who was hired the same, last, the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Or, or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Okay, just on its face, that's just brilliant teaching, right? Because in this parable, the disciples are the first, are they not? 
They're the first ones in the... Who's, who's more first than Peter? Peter, you see yourself as first. But you will be paid the same as the last. And I think another way of saying what Jesus said in the second parable is to say, in the kingdom of God, the last get what the first get. And the first get what the last get. Or a more simple way of saying it, the first and the last get the same thing. Right? It's one big chocolate coin for all three daughters. Now, I don't know about you, but of all of the teachings and parables of Jesus, this is the one that most consistently and reliably offers me a visceral reaction to its moral. I am a justice and fairness sort of person. And this is an unfair story. Is it fair that the people who worked way less got the same as the people who worked all day? I feel anger. I feel resentment. It violates that sense of fairness and justice that, frankly, I think is probably a good thing. But I wonder this, and I wonder what Jesus is getting to. Are we actually concerned about fairness? Or is there something else that our fairness and our anger, our sense of fairness and our anger is actually masking? Because no one in this story received less than they were promised. Was there anyone in this story that walked away being underpaid? I mean, would that not be the definition of fairness? I think what Jesus is trying to get at with his disciples as they understand the blessing that they will receive when they walk away from their life and the riches of the the kingdom of earth and walk towards the, the riches of the kingdom of heaven is that there is a trap and a poison that they can easily allow their hearts to be saturated and imbibe on and that is entitlement. The great enemy of the kingdom of God is entitlement. Entitlement We can define it this way. Entitlement is the belief that we are deserving of something. And the opposite side of the same coin is the belief that someone else isn't deserving of what they have. The belief that we are deserving of something and or the belief that someone else isn't deserving of what they have. Entitlement will poison our capacity to receive the gifts of the kingdom for ourselves and others. Entitlement poisons us in three ways. Good Presbyterian preacher here this morning. Okay. First, entitlement poisons by making victims instead of beneficiaries. Entitlement poisons us by turning us into victims rather than beneficiaries. You know what's interesting about this passage? You know, we cannot help but to read it in our American, you know, 21st century context. And one of the things that I read when I hear this story is, what are all these lazy people doing, hanging around all day long? Right? Like there are jobs to be found. Like at the very least, McDonald's is paying minimum wage. And it's $15 in the state of Colorado. That's pretty good. What are you doing at the market? 
You know, there's this sort of sense of like, whatever that title is, it's like, if you're sitting around, you're lazy. I think in the first century that Jesus' listeners actually have a very, would have a very different view of the vineyard owner and those people sitting around. In the first century, about half of the people in ancient Palestine were living day to day when it came to basic provision. What food would I eat tomorrow was a real question for half of the people that Jesus was in community with in his society. That's substantially more than here in our time in our place, correct? So perhaps Jesus' first audience would have heard the vineyard owner as somebody who was actually more generous than we can possibly imagine. That when seeing somebody without a job understood Without a job and a day's wage, there might not be food on the table tomorrow. How quickly we want to turn ourselves into victims instead of undering ourselves as beneficiaries. Because, friends, nobody, none of us, comes into the kingdom without benefiting from unfairness. None of us come into the kingdom without benefiting ourselves from unfairness. The gospel is that God has done what we cannot do for ourselves, that we need to have done for ourselves, for us, in his son Jesus. That we have salvation through the cross and the resurrection is patently unfair. None of us are deserving of that. Amen? No one comes into the kingdom without benefiting from unfairness. Friends, to be in the kingdom inherently means we are beneficiaries of unfairness. And yet entitlement poisons us to believe that we are victims of somebody else's benefit. Entitlement poisons by making victims instead of beneficiaries. Second, entitlement poisons by making Co-heirs into competitors. Co-heirs into competitors. This idea of co-heirs, I think, is perhaps one of the most mind-boggling identities that we receive um, in the gospel of Jesus. Co-heirs. There are a couple parts to it. It says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Right? That what Jesus gets as the king of the kingdom, he shares explicitly with us. There's no holding back. We receive, like he, call, he calls us friends. There's nothing that I don't know from the Father that I haven't shared with you. My kingdom is your kingdom, he says. We are co-heirs with Christ. We inherit all that Jesus has coming to him. Now talk about unfair, all right? And you want to get jealous about somebody who's getting the trust fund money? This is like the ultimate trust fund, you know? We are co-heirs, but... Besides being co-heirs with Christ, we are co-heirs with one another. That you and I are inheriting the same thing as the people we like in this room and the people we don't like in this room. The people we know and the people we don't know. We share the same incredible inheritance. But yet, entitlement poisons our hearts and leads us to believe that we are competitors with those who are actually co-heirs with Christ with us. 
I would share this with you. I've been in college ministry for a decade and a half now, and I have not been able to get over this temptation to size up what's happening in other ministries in a competitive spirit. Instagram is a wonderful tool to know what other college ministries are up to. So, you know, when InterVarsity, yeah, right, right, brother? You know, what's IV up to? Oh, interesting, you know? It's like, what's Young Life College doing? Wow, they had a lot of people show up for that. Seems like they like their leader a lot. Ooh, man, I can't believe those guys only had 12 people at their freshman event. <laughs> Oof, that's, that's rough, you know. I, I turn my perception of other co-laborers and co-inheritors into a competition. I've gotten to be a part of four different churches in my lifetime. And I would share with you that at every single stop along the way, I have come to believe two things to be true. One is that that church that I was a part of was fantastic and worthy of all the blessings that it had bestowed. And two, that there was some other church out there that was undeserving of the blessings that it had received. Sincerely. And the crazy thing is, about all four of those churches, is there was one common denominator. And it wasn't that they were the best church. It was that I was a part of it. It was my own heart. Seeing the world through scarcity and envy. Entitlement. Friends, entitlement poisons us by making ourselves, being co-heirs into competitors. Finally, entitlement poisons us from the gift of the kingdom itself. I would submit to all of us this morning that we cannot hold on to entitlement and receive the true kingdom at the same time. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. He didn't say money or me, but I would submit that we're in the same arena. You cannot hold on to your false sense of fairness and justice that is actually entitlement and receive the grace and the goodness of the kingdom at the same time. And Jesus tells us another story that beautifully illustrates this truth for us. In Luke 15, Jesus tells several parables. And the theme of the parables is celebration about something that was lost that became found. And in the penultimate of uh, parables, Jesus tells a story about a father and two sons. And the youngest son asks for his own inheritance with all sorts of implications to that. And he takes his father's money and he goes to Vegas and he blows it all on all the things that you're not supposed to blow it on. And things get rough, things get dire. And the son, the, the youngest son comes back to the father with his tail between his legs, hoping that he can just get a job so he has food for for tomorrow. And how does the father respond? So generously, right? Meanwhile, the oldest son, the oldest son 
comes to his father and says, are you, are you kidding me? Like, you slaughtered the best cow we have. And you have not been generous enough to me to give me ground beef so that I can have a barbecue with my friends. I think that's how maybe Eugene Peterson would have translated that if you didn't. <laughs> it's too late. But thanks. Thanks for the laughter. Right? And he's bitter. What in the world? You know what the father doesn't say? The father doesn't say, son, don't you get it? Don't you understand how good I've been to you? Don't you understand that you've had a good paying job and I've let you pick, you know, the grapes in the shade instead of the grapes in the sun? No, the the father turns to his son who is missing the point. And he looks him in the eyes and he says, son, I'm always with you. And everything that I have, it's yours. That's the gospel. That son, daughter, everything. I am always with you. And everything that I have, it's yours. For my money, there is not a moment in all of the Gospels that helped me understand the Father's love for me than that moment. And friends, we cannot receive the free gift of being with a loving Father who gives us everything and at the same time hold on to the poison of entitlement. We can't. That son could not look his father in the eye and say, Father, Oh, I know. I love your presence and I love your generosity. He couldn't because he was squeezing on tight to the poison of entitlement. That is unfair, Father. Don't you know what my brother has done with our money? Do you realize how ridiculous you're being? That's entitlement. But to receive it for ourselves the unfairness of the father's love for both sons. Friends, we are, we're Grace Commons, but we started as First Presbyterian Church of Boulder. And we were the first Presbyterian church in the upstart city of Boulder. We'll be celebrating 150 years. We literally, as an identity, are the first. We started when the sun was just coming up, right? That whether you've, you know, were born here or you started, you know, three minutes ago or 20 years ago, that's a part of our DNA that we will, we will not shake. There's something good about that. But Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples who were the first, 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 right? Like who's more first than the 12? He's saying, My beloved, you are going to miss what is in front of you. You will miss what's in front of you. 
if you do not understand how good it is that you are going to get the same thing as the last person in the door. That is something we should rejoice in. That our father is a generous father, that his kingdom is not like the kingdom of the world, and that we are beneficiaries and co-heirs of that. And he says to us with all of the love in his heart, the gospel is, the good news, son, daughter, is that I, I'm always with you. And everything that I have is yours. Let's pray. So Jesus, we ask by your mercy that you would clear whatever needs to be cleared. You could create whatever space in our own heart, whatever burden or grief or jealousy or envy that weighs us down to know what is true about us in your father, in your loving heart, your, your father heart for us that we know through your son, Jesus. Lord, we are beneficiaries of an incredible grace that is completely unfair and unjust for us to have, and yet we have it. Lord, fill our hearts with gratitude. Lord, I pray for our church, which um, was the first, (laughs) technically, who knows, Lord, but one of the first to do the work of the kingdom here in this city as a, a local church. Lord, I pray that you would melt our hearts to understand the true gift that is for us and for our city. That we would celebrate that the last will get the same thing as us. That your generosity knows no boundaries. That we, Father, at the end of the day, are beneficiaries of a love and a grace that is too generous for us to imagine. Lord, cleanse us of the poison of entitlement so that we can know that for ourselves and so that we can be salt and light in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, We have heard the gospel read, and we have heard a powerful proclamation of that gospel. And now we stand at the table where the gospel is enacted, where we participate and are united with Christ, our Savior. So welcome to the feast of the Lord, all who are baptized and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are invited to join in this meal. We come to this table as repentant sinners. But as Dave so beautifully proclaimed, we come to receive the promise of forgiveness. We come with our struggles, and Christ wants to assure us of his living presence. We come with our doubts, and Christ wants to touch us with the flesh and blood reality of his life. At the Lord's table, we look back 
remembering the whole story of our salvation. And we look around seeing that we are members of one another, members of the body of Christ. And we look forward to that day when there will be no more sin or sadness or tears. We look forward to a great banquet in the coming kingdom. We look up to our ascended Lord who promises to feed us with the body and blood of his Son. Let's pray. With joy we praise you, gracious Father, for you have created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, by whose grace we may triumph over temptation, be more fervent in prayer, and be more generous in love. Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels and the whole creation to proclaim the glory of your name. Amen. We give thanks to God the Father that our Savior Jesus Christ, before he suffered, gave us the memorial of his sacrifice. At the Last Supper, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Eat it, remembering me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood. Drink it, remembering me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, our God, send your Holy Spirit upon this, your body, so that this bread and cup may be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all your saints be united with Christ and remain faithful in hope and love. Gather your whole church, O Lord, into the glory of your kingdom. And now I invite you to take the bread. Remember and believe that this is the bread of heaven for us. Take and eat. And then take the cup. Remember and believe that this is the blood of Christ, the cup of our salvation. Let's pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs>